Chekhov asks, where is the Enterprise? That's not like Dracula, Dana. I'm just going <laughs> to... Where is the Enterprise? <laughs> <laughs> I want to suck its blood. <laughs> Before we get into our discussion of Spectre of the Gun, we have a very special guest, Olivia Ruprecht. Olivia is one of our longtime listeners, and she recently attended a convention in Ohio that featured some of the Star Trek cast. Here's our interview with Olivia. Well, we are talking to our guest tonight, Olivia Ruprecht. And uh, Olivia lives in Ohio. And you, Olivia, you went to a conference in Ohio that we had talked about going to. What was the name of that conference? That was GalaxyCon in Columbus. So there were a lot of Star Trek guest stars on that one. So I have to ask, did you wear your Damn It Jim podcast shirt that we sent you? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have. I did not because I already had three costumes um, for each of the three days. And it was it was really hard because it was a conflict within me. I wanted to wear it, but I also wanted to wear my Star Trek uniform. So Well, this interview's over. It was nice talking to you. So <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, Livy, I think you chose correctly. <laughs> Was there a lot of people in uh, what they call it cosplay? Yeah, there were a lot of people. And it's fun at those things because um, it's basically like Halloween for adults. You know, you're all in costumes. You can, if you like someone's costume, you can go up to them and say, can I take a picture of your costume or with you? And it's not weird. You just, you're like, <laughs> sure. You know, or so we, I got pictures taken with people and I took other people's pictures. So it was really fun. What was your favorite Star Trek part of the conference? Um, honestly, I didn't think it was going to be my favorite, but listening to William Shatner talk was very interesting because he's so charismatic and a great storyteller. And I didn't expect that. I was just like, oh, he's here. So I'll, and it's sort of free. Um, I'll just sit for his panel. And it was really great. Yeah. So that was one of my favorites. I also got to see a couple of the actors from the next generation um, got to get their autographs. So that was fun. I did not get William Shatner's because it was very expensive, a lot more than everyone else's. So at like a hundred bucks or something, you think? A hundred thirty. Wow. Yeah, everyone else was eighty or sixty, depending on how popular they were. Real quick, how much money do you think Dan and I could get for our autograph pictures at, <laughs> at one of these conferences? Honestly, I think people would pay for it. Honestly. How much do you think we'd have to pay people to take one of our autographs? That's probably the better way to ask that question, Dana. <laughs> no, if you had a booth, you could get some. I mean, I'm sure there's a few people. I would, I would pay for it. Wow. Okay. Depending on, unless you have Shatner prices, then I. Right. Yeah. No, we just got to be a little bit under Shatner. I'm thinking like 110. <laughs> what, what was a story that he told that you found compelling or interesting? It's sort of a funny one. He was talking about, he said a couple years after he, the Star Trek had been canceled. He was at the park with his daughters and they were like riding these go-karts or something. And all these teenagers started coming in with other go-karts and being really reckless. And so he was trying to get them to, you know, tell them to stop. And they're like, Hey, do you have a problem with us? And he's like, yeah, I have a problem with you guys. And before he could tell them what it was, he was thinking that, what do I do next? Maybe I could drop kick one of them, you know, <laughs> like I did in Star Trek. And then he said at that moment, um, the true physics of the drop kick set in. And he never realized that it actually wouldn't actually work. He's like, if I drop kick one of them, I'm going to fall to the ground and then they'll kick me to death and that'll be the end of it. <laughs> and so um, I thought that was funny because in reality, you're not going to be able to drop kick anyone. So I thought that was hilarious and a good tie into his character from the original series. What did you learn from uh, Walter Koenigstock? He was talking a lot about how Chekhov was this 
he's more of an expositional character, so he's only there to solely promote the plot and not discover anything about who Chekhov is as a person. And so apparently it's like the 30th anniversary of the Star Trek Generations movie, which crossed over to the Next Generations show. And so all seven of them were going to be on there. Uh, and then everyone started backing off. And in the end, it was only Shatner, Chekhov, I can't pronounce his name, Walter Koenig or something. Yeah, we mispronounce everybody's names, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was Kirk, Chekhov, and Scotty, and um, Walter didn't want to be on it at first because he's like, you know, he, there's not much to work with with this character. So he didn't think it'd be interesting. He said, if you give me a really good scene, I'll be on it. And so... It was this one scene, I guess, spoilers if no one's seen the movie. When I think Kirk has died, there was going to be a scene with Scotty and Chekhov mourning Kirk and how much he meant to them as a friend and everything. And so that was the reason why he signed on and then they cut it. And so he didn't actually have that scene in the movie. And I thought that was really interesting. So he was actually, another interesting thing about that movie is DeForest Kelly was going to be on it and then he backed off. And so a lot of Chekhov's lines sound like something Bones would say because they're just, you know, filling in the script. And so he had a lot of lines from different characters that weren't there anymore. One more interesting thing about those movies that Shatner had said is that they would burn the sets after they were done with them because they're like, we're not going to make another movie. And then they made another movie. But they would keep doing that. They keep destroying the sets. And apparently he said it's cheaper that way or something. But he thought it was weird that they kept doing that. How did you even get interested in Star Trek in the first place? My friend from Iowa, had asked because she's super into Star Trek. She had asked if I ever saw it and I always knew about it, but I never took the time to watch it because I thought it was dumb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think the first episode I ever watched was the 1920s episode where they go to the planet that's the like the gangsters and everything. Piece of the action. Yeah, the piece of the action. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I watched the one where Kirk was split into two different personalities from I think season one. And if she hadn't been there making it seem so great, I don't think I would have gotten interested (laughs) Yeah, but then I did. I got hooked on it, and I'm like, actually, like these characters. What drew me to it was the connection between Bones, um, Spock, and Kirk. At least in the first couple seasons, this season three has not been very (laughs) promising. You know, (laughs) there's a reason I feel like I haven't watched all these episodes yet. By the way, how did you like even find the podcast? Um, I was really into Star Trek, and I wanted more content than the original, like the show. And so I just have a habit of searching for podcasts on Spotify. So I just typed in Star Trek podcast. And I think you guys came up. So it was the one that was most interesting because I like that they're longer now. But when you guys start out, it was like 25 minutes or whatever. Yeah. And I was thinking this I can fit into my day. And now it doesn't seem like it's long enough because I'm like, I feel like there's a lot you guys cut out that would have been hilarious. I do have one last question for you. If you were to talk to someone who has never seen Star Trek before Mm -hmm. and try to convince them by telling them, see this one episode and you will become a Star Trek fan for life, which episode from the original series would it be? My first instinct would be The City on the Edge of Forever. But I feel like there's probably something in there that would turn someone off of Star Trek. I don't know. Know, maybe Bones going crazy or something. So I, I would probably say either that one, be the Tribble episode, but every time I try and show it to someone, I only remember the Tribbles and I forget how politics heavy it is. So either one of those, I like the first one I started on because it was Gangsters and Roaring Twenties and it was fun. I would not start them on the alternative factor. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Or Spock's Brain, nothing. None of those. Yeah. Season two, I would start them in somewhere in season two because they were even still trying to figure out the characters in the beginning of season one. So Uh, I do have one more question and 
a lot of people have said, you know, what are you going to do when you're finished with the original series? So the answer cannot be don't do anything (laughs) (laughs) or stay off the airwaves, whatever. Uh, I mean, it could be that. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want us to do for after uh, the original series. My first instinct would be next gen, but that would be forever. You know, another thought might be through an old series like The Twilight Zone and picking out all the Trek actors, oh. um, all the episodes they started in, because I know a handful of them were in different episodes and Shatner was there twice. Yeah, that's a great idea. Nimoy was in there. Yeah, that would be my first idea. And then definitely maybe the triple episode from the Deep Space Nine, just to, maybe as a tail end. Because yeah. I know the last episode of season three isn't the best ending for Star Trek. <laughs> so maybe go on more of a bang with that one. That's a great idea too. Well, very cool. So at least you didn't say, please don't continue on. But that's- oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I would do every Friday. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for taking your time and spending it with us this evening. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a blast. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on. And uh, thanks for always writing. And you've, you've even called in. So uh, really appreciate that. Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. It's a fun and fascinating look at Star Trek, the original series. Hosted by Dan Calzaretta, and my name is Dana Smith. Good evening, Dan. Dana, how are you this evening? So, uh, I know you don't like to talk about the weather here too much, but uh, is it cold where you are? Yes, it is very cold. (laughs) Now, you and I both grew up just outside of Chicago. We know cold, right? Yeah. But this, in... Washington State on the east side, it gets cold. But this has been cold, Dana. Yeah, we broke a record in Colorado where uh, we hit the uh, coldest temperature in January uh, in 62 years. You know what's funny is the podcast is on the internet, right? The internet's going to last forever, probably, in some form or another. A hundred years from now, someone's going to come across this podcast and they're going to be like, those temperatures are nothing. It's now like 800 <laughs> degrees below zero and we have to live in caves <laughs> under the ground. Yeah, but there's no such thing as global warming, so we're okay. So. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we get the climate issue figured out as a, as a species. Well, as a side note, uh, I was uh, flipping channels after one of the football games the other night and I was watching Nova Yeah, and they were doing this whole thing about the ice flows in the Arctic mm-hmm. and this ship that went up there and basically stayed there all winter and they put out all these posts and stuff to measure ice flows and they were like standing out on the ice when the ice is cracking and wow. stuff is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, and all I kept thinking is there's no effing way I could be doing that. So it's <laughs> a... <laughs> It looked really cool, but uh, yeah. And then there are also five months of darkness. Wow. There's just, there was no way there was enough booze on that ship to get me through five months of darkness. I was going to say, they must have a really well-stocked bar on that ship (laughs) or the ability to make some awesome moonshine out of Arctic, Arctic ice. Yeah. Wow. It was really fascinating though. There was, and they were showing like how thin the ice has gotten and how, you know, it's warm water is coming in. It's just, it's amazing. Wow. So Well, they had ice for their drinks anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't have to worry about that. No. Although you might get polar bear poop in it, but you know, otherwise. It's a... Right. <laughs> 
funny thing is polar bears are only in the north and and penguins are only in the south. That's weird, don't you think? <laughs> Wasn't only one type of penguin that's in the south in the in the Antarctic, isn't it like the king penguins or whatever they are? Or in the south? I don't know, but my wife and I once went to a trivia night at a brew pub. I'm, I'm, I, this is going to no. make sense in a second. <laughs> no, I know. My wife, who doesn't like beer, but she, she, you know. But she loves you. She loves me. She's, she's a wonderful woman, and she listens to the podcast. So, Dana, she's a wonderful woman. Did I mention that? <laughs> and a good friend, I might add. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. She is. She says that all the time. Yeah. Um, anyway, one of the questions was, what type of penguin has the largest population on the planet? What is it? What's the type of penguin? Has the most number of penguins on the planet? I, I don't know. The king penguin? Well, that's what I said. And my wife's like, no, no, it's the macaroni penguin. I'm like, there's not such thing as a macaroni penguin. I said, no, it's got to be the, the king penguin. It's got to be. And she's like, okay. Sure enough, macaroni penguin. Never heard of it. Yeah, neither did I, but she did. And ever since then, we've gone to a few more trivia nights. And I'm like, Allison, what's the answer? Anyway, macaroni penguin. Fascinating. Yep. And the one that's just below, that's the pasta penguin. And then the Laguini penguin. <laughs> is, there like a, is there like a marinara penguin? There is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, hold on. Hold on a second. Oh, God, already, Dana. I got it. Okay, I got the... All right, here goes the money, Dana. I got the feeling tonight's going to be one of those nights. Dan, every night we get together is one of those nights. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, because we had Olivia on, we will not be able to get to all the uh, emails and texts and such that we got, but uh, we will try to get to the majority of them next week. Yeah. So uh, thanks for writing, as always. And uh, Dan, let's move into Season 3, Episode 6, Spectre of the gun oh, oh, oh hold on though dana i'm sorry to, i'm sorry to interrupt you i really am didn't I, you I, say <laughs> i know i know we got to get through this. but hold on we did get a phone call dana and this was i i don't even want to preface it with anything i do believe we need to play this phone call because i'm not sure this person may need some help okay so without any further ado here's the phone call i, I can't talk too well they're after me they're after they're after me Dan, did he say something about reptilians? Did I hear that right? Yeah, he did. And it it sounded like people were after him. Wow. We all know reptilians aren't real, right? Well, I don't know. Apparently he doesn't. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm wondering if I should like reach out and try to help this this guy. Yeah, my, my guess is some people are beyond help. And, uh, so. <laughs> All right, screw it. Let's let's just move on with the episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for the caller. That's uh that's one. Uh what maybe he was doing an impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say that I could put in the episode at this point about that phone call. <laughs> Maybe he's seeing the Gorn. Yeah. The Gorn was reptilian. Yeah, exactly. Hmm, weird. Hmm. Well, maybe he'll call again. You know, we'll find out later. Okay, so back back to the episode, Dana. Come on. <laughs> stop with all the, you know, sidetracking. Let's go. Okay, Dan. Season three, episode six, Spectre of the Gun. We start off with the Enterprise on red alert. An object is attempting to block the Enterprise's path because they're left a trail of breadcrumbs and they're going back that way. And... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Spock, Spock says there are no life forms on the ship. And then Spock adds, it's a mechanical device of unknown properties that is trying to intercept them as it has made several course changes similar to the Enterprise. Okay, this is the first time this has ever happened in this episode. <laughs> How many times have we seen this, Dana? Well, there is a giant hand. Yeah, good. There's, There's been, I want to say, three or four. There have been several, yeah. So Kirk tries to avoid the ship, but uh, the uh, alien ship moves to intercept again. They come to a full stop, and a voice is heard telling them they have encroached on the space of the Melcons. And Spock says it was Vulcan voice, and Chekhov says it was Russian. And Uhura says it was Swahili. And Spock and Kirk agree the voice was telepathy. What do you think Scotty would have said? I haven't drank enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it definitely would have had a drinking reference. I think you're right. Yeah. Kirk says they have a mission to establish contact with the Malkosians. Kirk opens hailing frequencies. He says their intent is is to establish peaceful relations. Uhura reports no response. And so they pass the unmanned ship. And Kirk says he's going to go beam down with Scotty, McCoy, Chekhov, and Spock. Well, I have a question already from the very start here. So the Malkotian said, go away. Yep. Kirk says his orders are, we've got, we've got orders. We've got to go make contact. Isn't that like a violation of the prime directive? If someone doesn't want contact? Yeah, you don't want to interfere with society. So, yeah, I, I would think so. And it's it's also, yeah, the Malkotian said, you know, go away. We don't want you. And then Kirk's just like, we're here on a peaceful mission. Right. We're going to jam it down your throat. You know, it's just... So to speak. The landing party beams down and they're walking through a fog and the tricorders suddenly don't work and then the communicators don't work. Once again, we've never seen that. Yeah, weird. <laughs> <laughs> so the fog starts to clear and they see a creature with red eyes and it kind of looks like a... I don't know. The only thing I could think of was like a tall worm or something. To me, it looked like a paper mache project that I made in about second grade. (laughs) The only thing that was better about it is the eyes kind of lit up. But that was it. This is, I think, another example of the budget in season three getting cut. You know, I love a, 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 an alien that's not human, yeah. so uh, so I kind of liked it. Well, I just would have liked to see more of it, I suppose. I don't know. Actually, did you know that... <laughs> I know it's in the ramble jar. Here it goes with the ramble jar. There is something called... I am not, Dana, I'm not making this up, okay? I'm honest to God, this is true. The giant Palouse earthworm. Where I live in southeastern Washington state, there are these rolling hills called the Palouse. And there's a worm that only exists in the Palouse and in one small area in China. It's very hard to find, but apparently this worm is huge, absolutely huge. So I just wanted to throw that in there because you said the thing looked like a worm. I was thinking, you know, it's more like a uh, a caterpillar. Okay. I don't have anything on the caterpillar uh, front, <laughs> so I can't, I can't ramble on that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The more I think about it, it's more like a caterpillar. Yeah. Because worms don't really have eyes. No, they don't. No, they don't, do they? No. But they got like, what? Three hearts or something? I had no idea. I thought you could cut a worm in half and it lives. Is that true? <laughs> God, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> in high school, when we had to dissect worms, I just never understood that whole process. The dissecting or the... The dissecting of a worm. <laughs> just mm. You know, I mean, everybody else was dissecting frogs and the seniors were dissecting pigs and stuff, little piglets or whatever. And we're dissecting worms and I, I couldn't make anything out of them. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think, I'm trying to remember, did we dissect anything in high school? Maybe fetal pigs or something. Horrible, really, if I, you think about it. That's just gross. Because you could be eating that. I mean, come on. <laughs> 
Yep. So, the <laughs> uh, Mokosian says, aliens, our warning was plain. You have disregarded it. You shall be punished. You, Captain Kirk, the disobedience was on your orders. Says, yours is the responsibility. Yours shall be the pattern of your death. And Kirk says, we come in peace and draws his <laughs> phaser. <laughs> It's the universal sign for peace. Yeah, yeah, for Kirk. Yeah. Okay, we got the we we got kill. We got stun. We got warm coffee. We got heat rocks. We got to draw the body outline, and now we've got peace sign. Shoot it, and a big peace sign comes out. Apparently. Yeah. And Kirk says, "We'll defend ourselves if necessary." Mm-hmm. And the Malkosian replies, "You are outside. You are disease." And Kirk says, I think I got that fixed last week. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, well, actually, Jim, you know, several rounds of penicillin. To- yeah. The disease must be destroyed. Your plea has been heard and sentence has been pronounced. It is done. That was quick. <laughs> so suddenly the team is in a different location. The fog is gone, and Kirk's phaser is now a Western-style revolver. In fact, they all have them, right? Yeah, the whole team is wearing gun belts, and the town appears to be a Western town. And the sky around is like a reddish-orange, Yeah. and there are storefronts, but there's no depth to them. Yeah, it looks like a partially built set, almost. Yeah. Spock speculates it is the Malkosian's idea of an American frontier town circa 1880. Or a science fiction show from 1968 that doesn't have a budget. <laughs> I think Spock had it right. So it's a... Yeah, he probably did. So McCoy points out it is incomplete. And Spock says perhaps the Malkosian's data is incomplete. <laughs> That doesn't, that's still, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> that still doesn't make any sense. If they can reach into his mind and make a gun, right, that looks exactly <laughs> like some pistol from whatever, 1880 something, why can't they get the storefronts and the store backs and the entire building? Maybe the Malkosians didn't have a lot of money to put into this. You know, their, their budget was tight. <laughs> Maybe, so. yeah. They've been, they've been killing <laughs> aliens left and right, and they're like, oh, we've run out of stuff. Let's just... <laughs> We'll just half ass it on this one and make it go. Yeah, they'll, they'll get the idea. So uh, Kirk points out that the guns they are armed with are deadly as a phaser at close range. McCoy points to the gun in his hand and says, in the midst of what seems so unreal, the harsh reality, this is not a dream. He should. What he should have done was, well, let's test it out. So, Jim, I'm going to shoot you and let's see what happens. <laughs> So they turn around, they see a poster on the wall, and they read it. It says, Tombstone, Arizona, October 26, 1881. Spock was so close. And Spock points out that the Malkosians looked into Kirk's mind and selected what was fitting for your punishment. Kirk says his ancestors were pioneers on the Western frontier. (laughs) Sorry. That just is ridiculous. Come on. Was Iowa the Western frontier? Well, at one point, it probably was, yeah. But so was, yeah, you know, true. The East Coast was the Western frontier at one point. <laughs> yeah, say West Virginia was the Western frontier yeah, at one point. So, yeah. It still is for most people. <laughs> so, Spock says, the violence of your heritage is to be the pattern of our execution. And Kirk says, there's something about the date and the place. Just then a man calls to them, calling Ike. And he says, where's Tina? 
<laughs> we left her on the ship. Yeah, I hope you didn't beat her again. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> that, that's horrible, but that really happened to Tina Turner. She suffered a lot and survived a lot. The sheriff says, Ike, Frank, Billy, and Tom. And he shakes Kirk's hand and says, I didn't think you were going to make it. I knew they wouldn't scare you away. They're a bunch of hot air, if you ask me. And Kirk says, you know us? And the sheriff laughs and says, that's what I like about you, Ike. You always see the funny side. And he starts walking away and says, no one can say Johnny Behan doesn't have a sense of humor. And Kirk recognizes the name and turns back to the group as things start to make sense to him. He points out that they are the Clantons and that the Clantons and Earps fought for control of the town. Now, Dana, you would have to be a real historian or history nut to know that, especially in like the year 2300. Yeah, I, I think you would know maybe the name of Wyatt Earp. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe. Yeah. And maybe Tombstone because of Tombstone Pizza. You might know that. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's probably you'd probably get more excited about the chance to get Tombstone Pizzas there. The original. So, yeah. <laughs> So next week, that's your job, Dan, is call Tombstone and see if they'll be a sponsor for us. So The town? Because there still is a town of Tombstone, right? <laughs> I said Tombstone Pizza. Oh, the pizza. P- <laughs> yeah. Was it really created in Tombstone, do you know? Or or if you eat enough, you will have a Tombstone. What's the? Yeah, I think you feel like you ate a Tombstone. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know we talked about that pizza before, but we didn't never talked about like where did it even come from. By the way, Dana, Tombstone Pizza was founded in Medford, Wisconsin. 1962 it came from the Tombstone Tavern. Wow, I think I've been to Medford, Wisconsin. Spock says they had it out, and Chekhov asks who won, and Kirk says the Clantons lost. And Chekhov realizes that uh, this means that they died. Good inference there, Chekhov. <laughs> and so he says, and we're the Clantons. And Kirk says, and if we're the Clantons and we're replaying history, Spock adds, history cannot be changed. Suddenly, they hear a gunshot and a chair gets thrown through the saloon window. A man stumbles from the saloon and catches himself on a post. He draws his gun as a man in black pushes through the swinging doors, pulls his gun, and shoots the cowboy. The group runs to the fallen cowboy as the man in black steps back to the into the saloon. Scotty kneels down next to the fallen cowboy and says, Things like this cannot happen. And Spock asks, Is the man dead, doctor? And McCoy says, Very dead. Kirk says, one thing we can be sure of, death is real. Yeah, again, not sure that they can be sure of that. <laughs> Very true, because it's uh, if, if everything was real, then they'd have full buildings. It, probably, exactly. You know, so. You're right. And Tombstone Pizza. I will call them. I am going to call them, Dana, and get them to be a sponsor. If not them, then our fallback is uh, North Shore Diapers. So. Well, I think if we get Tombstone Pizza to be a sponsor, <laughs> we have to get North Shore Adult Diapers to be a sponsor because we're going to need it. <laughs> yeah. Tombstone will pay us some pizzas. Exactly. That's what I mean. <laughs> so anyway, uh, they hear music coming from inside the saloon. They turn to go in. Kind of like Western-y type of piano music, right? Yeah, it's like old Susanna or something that the guy is playing. Yeah. So The bartender addresses them as the Clantons. A woman walks up to Chekhov, calling him Billy, and she kisses him. Oh, full on, right? Yeah, and uh, she leads him to a table where he sits down. The woman says, maybe you shouldn't have come. And Chekhov replies, and miss seeing you? Don't be silly. She says, you're taking crazy chances with Morgan Earp right in the room. We see Morgan Earp across the room. He's the same man who shot the cowboy outside. Morgan Earp steps forward and pulls back his coat as if he's ready to draw. Kirk stands and Spock says, Captain, 
Since we have seen that death is the one reality in this situation, I seriously suggest you reseat yourself immediately without moving a muscle of either hand. If I remember correctly, that would involve you in what was called the fast draw. It initiated unfortunate events. And Kirk realizes what Spock is saying and turns slowly and sits at the table with the others. But you notice he moved both hands? He was kind of putting them up like, okay, okay, I'm not going to do anything. Kind of raised them a little bit. The bartender comes back up and asks if they want their usual ones. Scotty says, absolutely, a half gallon of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That might be my favorite line from the show. And that's just for him. You got to get something else for the other guys. <laughs> and the woman runs up to Chekhov and kneels down by him. Dan. Nope. <laughs> Once again, Dana, I am not. Remember last year we both did, <laughs> we, we both, we both did dry January. I'm on dry January for every time you bait me with one of these things. <laughs> I'm just not going to go for it. But just wait for February, Dana. Just wait. <laughs> And she kisses him. So Kirk tries to interrupt them, but they keep right on kissing. And then finally, Kirk gets him to break the kiss and Chekhov says, What can I do, Captain? You know we're always supposed to maintain good relations with the natives. So he goes back to kissing her. Finally, Kirk says, I would like to talk to Mr. And he stops himself to Billy. And she says, All right. And she gets up and leaves. Kirk says, even though we're wearing our normal clothes, the people see and hear us as the Clantons. Chekhov says, I don't see that's such a bad thing. And Spock says, the day is still young, Ensign. Kirk reiterates the basics of the story in case someone came in late to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> he adds, Morgan just went off to tell his brothers that we're here. And Spock replies, and this is indeed some sort of replay of history. The Earps will kill the Clantons at the OK Corral at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Dan Spock must have been on East Coast time because uh, the fight at the OK Corral actually took place about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it did. So. It, it, you're exactly right. It did take place at 3 o'clock. Yeah. You, you know, I, I'm really disappointed that he got that wrong. Well, you know, it's space time, East Coast time, all that. It throws person off, you know. So Kirk stands and goes over to the bartender as he says, well, we're not going to be at the OK Corral at 5 o'clock this afternoon. And he calls the bartender by name and acts all friendly. He asks the bartender to take a good look at him. And he says, who do you think I am? And the bartender says, I, Clanton? And Kirk says, I know this is hard to understand, but I am Captain James T. Kirk of the Spaceship Enterprise. So Kirk becomes frustrated and says, I'm not Ike Clanton. The bartender laughs again, kind of sounds a little bit like Woody Woodpecker. Does that? <laughs> <laughs> he says, don't make no difference who I think you are. The problem is, who does Wyatt Earp think you are? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never liked Woody Woodpecker, really. So next we see Kirk walking into the marshal's office where Wyatt Earp is checking his gun. <laughs> nope. Mm -mm. <laughs> no. I almost, I almost did that time, Dan. My better angels prevented me. So Kirk tries to explain there's been some sort of mistake. And Wyatt says, all right, Clanton, one more chance. You're last. You've got until five tonight to get your horse-stealing scurvy crew out of town. And Kirk's still trying to be pleasant, says, yes, we'd be glad to. We don't want to fight. And Morgan says, I always said you was yellow, Clanton. And Kirk looks at him and says, I'll make one more attempt to get through to you, Mr. Earp. 
my name is not Clanton, it's Kirk. And Morgan steps around and says, oh yeah, we've heard you talk about your jokes. And Kirk says, I'm not joking. And Morgan says, sure, nice to meet you, Mr. Kirk. And he punches Kirk in the face with a left hook. <laughs> Kirk says, we don't want any trouble. We'll be glad to cooperate. Wyatt says, five o'clock, Clanton, is that clear? So back in the saloon, McCoy is administering to Kirk's wound. So Kirk asks Spock if he could make a communicator, and Spock says, in this century, there are no metal alloys or power sources to make a devices such as ours. So, Dana, the real answer should have been, uh, we're in the 1880s. Are you stupid or something? I mean, come on, that should have been the answer. So Kirk looks for Chekhov, and we see he's with the girl again. Really? Hmm. <laughs> She says, Morgan will kill you because he wants me. And Chekhov shrugs it off with a smile and says, with his outdated weapon? He says, if he shoots at me, I will just step out of the way. And Chekhov says, a lot of people and things have tried to kill me. You'd be surprised. Kirk calls to Chekhov as their group moves to exit the saloon. And they exit the saloon. Chekhov asks, where are we going? And Kirk says, to exercise the better part of valor. We're getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> They go to the city limits and they are stopped by a force field. Just then they hear a clock strike three. Chekhov asks, where is the Enterprise? That's not like Dracula, Dana. I'm just going <laughs> to... Where is the Enterprise? <laughs> <laughs> I want to suck its blood. Kirk asks, if you were in charge, what would you be doing on the ship right now? Leaving? <laughs> Chekhov says he'd be using the sensors to try and locate them. Kirk agrees and says, if we could find where we beam down, the ship might locate us. Spock says there's no way to know where that is. So Kirk says we have until five o'clock to find that way. Now consider this. What materials were on hand in 1881 that could help us fight the Earps on their own terms? Mm, there were lots of venereal diseases, I think. <laughs> Scotty pulls out his gun. No. No, Dana, I'm not taking the bait. Scotty pulls his gun and says, we have these. And Kirk says, no, the Malkosians have set this up to execute us. There has to be a way to put the Earps out of action. Is there anything that exists now that we can use? And Chekhov says, those Western Cossacks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I keep trying. It's just a failure. <laughs> no, I'm glad you do, because like I have said many times, my impersonations are not good. So Chekhov says, those Western Cossacks had poisonous snakes and cactuses. Kirk asks McCoy if they can find a way to use venom in the plants. McCoy excitedly says he can make a tranquilizer, and they quickly form a basic plan to deliver the tranquilizer to the herbs. Now, let's see, we're the late 1800s. When was Bill Cosby alive again? We'll just get his formula. <laughs> well, Cosby him. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk sends everyone off to gather the necessary tools. Spock says, I shall manufacture the equivalent of an ancient generating canister, more commonly known as a gas grenade. So the next thing we see is McCoy enters the dentist shop where a man is getting a shave. So the barber tells McCoy to come back later and the barber seems 
kind of nervous. Yeah, very nervous, yeah. McCoy goes to a shelf with many bottles on it. He starts picking through and says he could use some of these. The barber says they are not his and looks nervously at the man in the chair. McCoy goes to the man and says, so you're the dentist. I'm a doctor and I have a serious need for these. The man sits up and takes the towel off his face. And the man says, that joke is all around town. I'm Holiday, Doc Holiday. McCoy seems to recognize the name. He says, uh, the emergency is real. And Holiday says, your emergency sure is real. Go on, take the stuff. Have more fun. Take my bag. Only you best be finished before five o'clock. McCoy says, that is my intention, doctor. Next, we see the woman uh, that Chekhov was kissing earlier. She sees Chekhov coming out of a store and she sits down. Chekhov sees her and calls her Sylvia. So now we know what her name is. So he goes and sits down next to her. She says, you know how crazy I am about you. And Chekhov looks a little shy. She pulls out some material from her bag and she says, I'm going to make a dress for the dance next week. She says she has yards and yards of the material and she thinks it would make a beautiful wedding gown. And it would look just great on you, Chekhov. (laughs) I mean, Billy or whoever you are. Chekhov looks pretty uncomfortable at this point. He's, He's smiling, but he looks like just terribly uncomfortable. Yeah. And Chekhov says, married? I'm afraid that wouldn't be possible. Just then Morgan Earp comes up and pulls Chekhov away. Morgan says, I warned you, Claiborne. Stay away from her. And he hits Chekhov, knocking him down. Morgan takes Sylvia by the arm and starts to lead her away. Chekhov stands and calls him out, saying, take your hands off of her. Morgan steps aside and pulls back his coat ready to draw. Chekhov starts walking towards Morgan. Morgan draws and fires. Would you start walking toward this guy? He's like at a gun point. I would be walking the other direction. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be running. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I would get right behind Sylvia. Yeah. Let her take the bullet. It's her fault in the first place. (laughs) Kirk and Spock rush around the corner and go to Chekhov. McCoy quickly very quickly, I might add, uh, checks Chekhov, then looks at Kirk and says, there's nothing I can do, Jim. So later, we see Kirk standing at the bar as Spock, Scotty, and McCoy work on the grenades. McCoy says, let it go, Jim. He's dead. Kirk says, maybe he wouldn't be if if I hadn't ignored the Melcott warning. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the most logical thing you've said in maybe several episodes. (laughs) Spock says, gentlemen, there's one thing which requires the immediate attention of all of us. Where's the outhouse? I really got to use the bathroom. <laughs> I ate some of the chili here. Woof. <laughs> right through me. <laughs> Spock says, gentlemen, there's one thing which requires the immediate attention of all of us, specifically our future. Kirk says, but not this minute, Spock. It takes us a little longer. And Spock says, I understand the feeling, Captain. McCoy says, you talk about another man's feelings. What do you feel, Spock? My feelings are not subject for discussion, Doctor. Because there are no feelings to discuss. Mr. Spock, Chekhov is dead. I see it now and I can hardly believe it. But you work closely with him. That deserves some memorial. Spock will have no truck with grief, Scotty. It's human. Bones, Scotty. Captain, it's quite all right. They forget I am half human. 
Kirk asks how the tranquilizer is going. They say it will be ready soon. Spock says, these crude supplies we were forced to use work quite well. McCoy says, I doubt this combination of things was ever used for any purpose quite like this. And Spock says, perhaps they would have been if they had your ingenuity, Doctor. That was kind of sweet, Dana. <laughs> yeah, McCoy's get this like, look like, did he just give me a compliment? Kirk asks, how soon will it be ready? And Spock says, right now. Kirk asks how they tested it. McCoy says, it hasn't been tested. It will work. And Kirk insists they test it. Scotty volunteers to test it. Of course he does. Yeah. <laughs> Spock pulls the string and fumes start pouring out of the top of the can. Scotty stands there and finally picks up the container and holds it under his face. <laughs> he breathes in the smoke. It's obviously not working. And Kirk says it doesn't work. And Spock says fascinating. It did not function, but it must function. But if the tranquilizer does not function, which is clearly impossible, then a radical alteration of our thought patterns must be in order. That's the only explanation, really. Yeah, it's, it's obvious, Dan. Yeah. Kirk says, we need a weapon, an answer. And McCoy says, you don't have to worry about that now. Look at the clock. Kirk says, 10 minutes, and it's all going to end at the OK Corral. We're just going to wait here until after 5 o'clock. We're not going to move from this spot. And the camera kind of like zooms into his shirt and then pulls back, and we see that uh, they're immediately transported to the OK Corral. Kirk says, they've gotten their way. We have to stand and fight. And Scotty says, good, they want to fight. Let's give it to them. And Kirk says, they're experts at gunfighting. We don't have a chance. Nice inspirational speech there, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they don't have guns, but they got phasers. They know how to aim a phaser. They could do it. So Spock says, it might not be necessary. A fact, Captain. Physical laws simply cannot be ignored. He looks at McCoy. The tranquilizer you created should have been effective. He says, Doctor, in your opinion, what killed Mr. Chekhov? And McCoy says, a piece of lead in his body. And Spock shakes his head. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he was, he, was a, he was a little terse with McCoy there. Just wrong. He says his mind killed him, which won't happen to you because you don't have a mind. <laughs> <laughs> All of this is unreal. And McCoy says, I examined Chekhov. He's dead. Spock replies, but you made your examination under conditions which we cannot trust. Besides that, you're a shitty doctor. <laughs> says, we judge reality by the response of our senses. We judge the bullets to be solid, the guns to be real. Therefore, they can kill us. I know the bullets are unreal. Therefore, they cannot harm me. You guys are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk says, we must all be as certain as you, Mr. Spock. So Kirk says, we must do this, Spock, a Vulcan mind meld. And Spock nods and says, very well. Now, he calls it a Vulcan mind meld, not a mind link, not a mind fusion or whatever they, I remember what they called it a few episodes ago. But now we're back to the Vulcan mind meld. So is this writer, someone who wrote in the second season or the first season? So he kind of knows this, the, the terminology? Or maybe they paid attention to a couple episodes and said, just like trying to wing it. Maybe watched one, took some notes. <laughs> Maybe. Ooh, Vulcan mind meld. I can use that. Yeah. yeah. So. so just then we hear the clock strike and we see Wyatt Earp in his office as the wind whips up outside. He steps outside and is joined by Virgil. We go back to the OK Corral where Spock is performing the mind meld on Scotty. We cut back to the Earps walking. When the lightning flashes, you can see the shadows of the trees on the backdrop. 
I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't. No, I should go back and look at that. We go back to the corral and see Spock is now mind melding with McCoy. Spock says, the bullets are real. You're going to die. <laughs> A painful, horrible, burning death. <laughs> Yeah, if those bullets don't kill you, I'll shoot you a few times. <laughs> <laughs> As Spock is saying, unreal, appearances only. They are shadows, illusions, nothing but ghosts of reality. They are lies, falsehoods. Anybody swallow a thesaurus? I mean, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Once again, it's that word count in season three. It says specters without body. They are to be ignored. Just like the captain's orders when he tells us to come down to another fucking planet <laughs> that we know we shouldn't go to, especially when they told us not to. So next we see the four men standing in the corral as the Earps approach. When the Earps are inside the corral, Wyatt says, draw. Kirk puts his hand on the butt of his gun. The Earps all fire. We see the fence behind the crew splintering with bullet holes. Crew stands there unfazed. The Earps keep firing. Finally, Wyatt steps forward and keeps firing as Kirk approaches him. Kirk does a flying drop kick and knocks Wyatt down. Kind of like Olivia mentioned in the interview. Then Kirk picks up Wyatt by the lapel and pulls his gun. He points it at Wyatt's head. After a moment, he tosses the gun aside. Slowly, the scene dissolves, and then they are on the bridge of the Enterprise. McCoy is scanning Chekhov and says, he's in perfect health. Chekhov says, I don't understand. Where have I been? Kirk says, right here, it seems. Then we hear the Malkosian's voice again, calling Kirk, Captain Kirk, you did not kill. Is this the way of your kind? No. Not really. Kirk says, it is. We only fight when there's no choice. Or somebody just pisses me off. We have sought you out to join us. Our mission is still one of peace. Kirk says, and I'm going to blow the f*** out of your planet for <laughs> f***ing with us. <laughs> How's that for nonviolence? <laughs> So the Malkosian says, approach our planet. We will meet you. Our threats are over. Spock comes around and stands on the left side of Kirk. And McCoy is on Kirk's right. And Spock says, Captain, may I ask a question? This afternoon, you wanted to kill, didn't you? And McCoy says, but he didn't kill, Mr. Spock. Spock says, but he wanted to, Doctor. Kirk says, is that what it, way it seemed to you, Mr. Spock? And Spock says, yes, Captain. And Kirk looks very serious and he says, Mr. Spock, you're absolutely right. That's exactly the way it was. And Spock says, mankind ready to kill. And Kirk says, that's the way it was in 1881. And it's going to be like that again if you don't stop being pompous <laughs> about all this. <laughs> Yeah, Uhura, get Dr. Mabingo. Get, get him up here right now. <laughs> Spock says, I wonder how humanity managed to survive. Kirk looks at him and says, we overcame our instinct for violence. And Dan, that's how the show ends. So Dana, you have some information about some of the actors in this episode. Yeah, well, to start with, Dan, uh, an interesting note, DeForest Kelly actually played Morgan Earp next to Burt Lancaster's Wyatt Earp in the movie Gunfight at the OK Corral. Also, uh, Bonnie Beecher, who played Sylvia, she had a short acting career, did show up in a few shows of the day, starting back in like the mid-60s. In 1961, she was Bob Dylan's girlfriend at the University 
University of Minnesota and recorded some of Dylan's performances in her home apartment. In 1967, Beecher married counterculture icon Wavy Gravy. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, also known as Hugh Romney and best known as the MC at Woodstock and Woodstock 2. Wow. They're still married, Dan, and Beecher now goes by the name of, and I'm probably going to slaughter this, Jahanara Bo Romney. With her husband, she helps run a number of charitable organizations. You mentioned that she was Bob Dylan's girlfriend for a while, and he wrote yeah. the song Blown in the Wind about an encounter they had during a windstorm. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so Dan, do you have any extra information you want to add about the, the people in the show? Yeah, Rex Holman, he was originally cast as Virgil Earp. He ended up playing Morgan Earp. The reason is the original actor that was going to play Morgan Earp was fired the first day of shooting due to his drug problems. And then one more thing, Charles Seal, who played Ed the bartender, by the way, I love that character in this episode. He, however, is probably best remembered for his many appearances as Mr. Crinky on the television series Dennis the Menace. Oh, wow. That's an old series. Very old. Yeah, older than I am, actually. That's all I got, Dana. Okay, Dan, do you want to talk about themes and dilemmas? Yeah, let's do that. When Spock is in the corral and he's talking to these guys about the nature of reality and all that, that speech could be lifted right from how some philosophers and even some physicists now think about reality, that there is no such thing as objective reality, that it's very subjective and it it's all based on our individual perceptions of what is real. And so that kind of begs the question, how do we know if anything is real? Which then begs the question, how do we know this podcast is real? And that begs the answer by our listeners, I hope it's not real. I just hope it's not real anymore. <laughs> I, I thought the the way they portrayed this this concept of the nature of reality was really well done in the episode. But that's a dilemma, I think, is how do, is we as humans really know what is real? It, it's like uh, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there, it doesn't make a sound because we have listeners who respond to us. Uh, that makes me believe we're real. The tree falls in the woods and no one's there, or does the Pope shit in the woods? Isn't that another <laughs> test of reality? Uh, no. Dana, how about a dilemma for you? Well, Dan, I was thinking kind of the, the thrusts of this show is can we ever be nonviolent? You know, can we evolve into nonviolent creatures? I, I think that's a very lofty expectation. I would like to see it. The violence of the 1880s, you know, gets overplayed some, but uh, it was there was definitely violence then. There's violence today, probably more. Dana, how about a best part of this episode for you? Dan, I thought about this a lot. For me, it's kind of an unbelievable scenario, but the way they play it out with uh, the drama involved and the response to everything, it ends up having a positive effect and makes it a good episode. How about you, Dan? Do you have a best part? Yeah, I think the camera angles, especially when they're first transported to the Wild West town, are brilliant. In the entire episode, actually, I thought the camera angles were brilliant. It gives this weird, otherworldly feeling. I would also include with that the audio production the wind, the kind of weird music in the background, all of that came together for me to make this a very strange yet compelling episode. 
How about another best part for you, Dana? I like that the woman was in love with Chekhov instead of Kirk. How about you? Do you got another best part for us? It really is the same as the first one that you brought up. That, again, the ethereal nature of the lighting, the sound effects, camera angles, the music, all that stuff. The uncompleted sets, I actually thought that was really cool in this episode, and it really worked. The red sky, you mentioned that earlier. It made a totally unbelievable episode believable to me. Dana, how about another best part from you? Uh, Dan, you should appreciate this. Uh, Scotty plays a bigger role and uh, he had some great lines. I mean, he's kind of fun and he's also wanting to stand up for, you know, Chekhov being killed. And so I, I thought it was great to see James Doohan so, so involved in the cast and the episode. Dan, do you have a worst part you want to talk about? The ending for me was unsatisfying. Like, were they on the ship the entire time? How about a worst part for you, Dana? Kirk trying to convince everyone that he was not Ike Clanton. They were in this situation and... You know, pretty quickly, I think he'd, he would have figured out uh, that they were playing these roles and there was no way that they were going to get out of it. It just kind of bothered me that he was not trying to get out of the fight or anything, but just that he was so adamant about telling people who he was. Do you have another worst part, Dan? Yeah, we've seen this ending before. Kirk didn't kill the opponent, and then they're kind of let go by the, the, the aliens that set up the conflict, right? We saw it in Arena with the Gorn. Yeah, I mean, and the, it's almost the same result where it's like, is this your way of nonviolence or whatever? And uh, and Kirk's answer is the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At least we know the writer was watching some of the other episodes. <laughs> <laughs> How about another worst part for you? If everything was an illusion and Kirk knew that, there was no reason to kill Wyatt Earp or even threaten to. You know, when he knocks him down, he's holding the gun at his head. It was pointless. Should have just, after they unloaded their guns and he fought him, whatever, should have just stopped. Hey, Dana, what happened on this day in history? Dan, this aired on October 25th, 1968. The number one song in the U.S. was still Hey Jude by the Beatles. And can you guess what the number one song was in the U.K.? Um, still Those Were the Days by Mary Hopkin. I think that's five weeks in a row. So, Dan, the band formerly known as the New Yardbirds, Led Zeppelin, gave its first live concert under its new name, performing at Surrey University in England. The uh, band name came out of a joke by Keith Moon, who uh, said to uh, Jimmy Page, that would go down like a Led Zeppelin. So uh, that's when the band name was formed. Wow, that's pretty interesting. I didn't know that. And just for you, I found this one, Dan. Northeast Airlines Flight 946. Okay, yes, it sounds like a good start. <laughs> crashed into a heavily wooded mountainside while descending through fog towards the regional airport at Lebanon, New Hampshire, killing 32 of the 42 people on board. Those 10 people were wearing their seatbelts, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> kidding i have no idea yeah. <laughs> uh here's something uh you might appreciate chicago recognized on that date that jean baptiste point de sabel i have no idea if that's how you say his stupid french name uh, <laughs> Dude, you gotta go all in you gotta go all in remember with the whole la Femme? You just got to go in, all in. That's pretty good. I mean, I don't know. I don't speak French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's great. <laughs> 
So Chicago recognized Jean-Baptiste Point de Sabel as its first settler. Also, Dan, at the Summer Olympics in Mexico, the longest Olympic field hockey game in history, the Netherlands beat Spain one to nothing in two hours and 25 minutes, six overtimes. All right, Dana, hey. I think it's time to get to the counts. What do you think? I agree, Dan. And we've got some figuring to do here. So Yes, we do. How about the dead crewman count, Dana? Oh, let's start it off. Do we count Chekhov or don't we? Yes, I absolutely think we have to. Did we count McCoy when he was stabbed by the knight? I think we counted it as half. <laughs> and then we got another half somewhere else <laughs> to make up for it. So it's got to count for at least a half, I think. What do you think? I'll go with a half. All right, let's do a half. So that means our tally is what, Dana? Well, that'll put us at 47.5, Dan. Okay, I'm just hoping we get another half before the end of the series because, you know, it, it, that half is going to bother me. How about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count? Nope, not even a close. So we're still at 18. All right, here's another one we're going to have to discuss, the he's dead count, Dana. He actually said it twice. What two times did he say it, Dana? It was about checkoff both times. Well, one time was... Let it go, Jim. He's dead, right? Yeah. I think we need to count that. Yeah, and McCoy says, I I examined Chekhov. He's dead. Okay, so that's two. Yeah. I think there's one more. Earlier in the episode, when one of the Earps kills the guy who stumbles out of the bar, the crew rushes up to them, and Spock says something to McCoy about the guy being dead, and McCoy says, very dead, Mr. Spock. I think we need to count that one, too. I'm easy. Convince me. So. so that would put us at what? 21. Dana, how about I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank? Dan, this is really starting to get on my nerves that he has not <laughs> said it again. All my life, I've thought he's this every every episode he had some comment like this. Right. Proven it's wrong. So we're still stuck at eight. How about the supreme being count? That's zero. So that puts us at 11 still. The violation of the prime directive count? Well, you brought up something earlier that Kirk went ahead with uh, his plans to be peaceful with the Melkosians, even though they told him to go away. So isn't that a form of uh, violation of the Prime Directive? I think so. I mean, even though they were directed to do that by the Federation, I don't think it matters. The Federation was violating their own Prime Directive, it seems to me. Yeah, and if Kirk's like, well, this is what my orders are, and so that's what I'm going to do, regardless of what the civilization wants, to me, that is a violation of the Prime Directive. Yeah, great. Okay, so we agree on that one what's the tally 12 the taking over the enterprise count uh nope not this week so uh we are still at 12 all right who's commanding the enterprise nobody was left in charge that we saw i'm still saying that we are stuck at 29 then well dana i gotta say this episode one of my favorites in star trek I love the bizarre nature of it. And there are some things I didn't like about it. I brought those up already. But I think this one's probably in my top 10. The other thing, too, a couple things I want to bring up. One, this reminds me of Westworld. Like, I wonder if the person who wrote Westworld, was that Michael Crichton? Who wrote the original? I don't even remember who that was. Yeah, it's Michael Crichton. I wonder if he got the idea from this, because specifically, you mentioned about the Earps looking zombie-like. I thought they looked robot-like. Yeah, I, I liked this episode. Like I said, when I was a kid, I didn't appreciate it. And I loved Westerns growing up. And yeah, we can always find something to pick on. But I think this was a good episode. I don't know if I'd put it in my top 10, but it's probably in the top 20. Yeah. Did you notice that none of the Earps ever blinked? I did not notice that. Go back and watch it. They never 
blink, not once. It's they were very robotic like. All right, Dana. Hey, once again, I had a great time talking about this episode. What do we got for next week? Next week, Dana, it's Day of the Dove. Okay, I don't remember this one at all, which is weird because I usually remember at least a little something of every episode. All right, Dana. Hey, had a great time. I will see you next week. Thanks, Dan. It's always great to get together and talk about Star Trek. And thanks to all our listeners for their continued support and friendship. We really appreciate all the communication, but don't forget, we do have a phone number. And Dan, what is that phone number? That phone number is 911, Dana. 911. <laughs> <laughs> God, I, I'm not putting that in because someone will call it and be like, hey, is this the Damage Gym hotline? You're under arrest. Yeah. Dana, that number is 509 676 6298. Once again, we want to thank our friend who uh, joined us tonight, Olivia Ruprecht. Until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, or X. You can also call the Damn Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for the Day of the Dove. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.